0: Hey there, and welcome to our podcast. And thanks for joining us for this episode. Now, before we begin, we wanna remind you to please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at our church. Thanks again for joining us, and now, enjoy the episode. Galatians chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. Give you just a moment to find your place. Galatians chapter 6. It's wonderful to hear all those pages turn. As you know, we've been in a series of of real life and real faith, and uh, dealing with the reality that we all come to crossroads in our life, Uh, the challenges of circumstances, maybe uh, oppression from forces outside of us, and it's real life, and we all encounter that. And that crossroads is, do I practice a real, genuine faith in that moment? And as we have seen, uh, and we could gosh, we could stretch this series for a year, but that's just uh, not not practical. And we like to change gears every once in a while. And that's this is going to be this Sunday. We're sort of changing gears. Uh, next Sunday, this will be sort of the end cap uh, to a series that I would could go a lot longer with, but um, uh, we're going to be probably stepping into more of a Thanksgiving thought this upcoming month. But as we've seen in Scripture, uh, there's real people in Scripture. Amen? Real people. Flesh, blood, bone, just like you and me. They're not super saints, uh, but they're sinners saved by grace. And you can find in those people's lives that they were able to meet the circumstance and meet the struggle and the opposition with a real, genuine faith. And what you find in that is that God is faithful to bless that kind of faith. Amen? Actually, God is even faithful to bless the, the, um, the size of faith that's equivalent to a mustard seed. You know, so I thank God for that. God is so gracious that even when my faith is, is, should be bigger and it's smaller, He even blesses me. He helps me. And so God is so good to us, and we have seen this reality of real life, real faith, Through just, you know, about eight messages, uh, some people in scripture. But this morning, I'm not really going to be looking at a particular person as we have been uh, thus far. I'm wanting us to um, really understand our relationship toward each other when a brother is experiencing real life. And maybe that real life hard moment in his life affects you personally. You know, how do we respond toward each other when we are maybe we have fallen in our faith, so to speak? We have tripped up in our faith. And maybe them tripping up actually impacts you directly. How do you respond to that? And so, uh, Paul in the book of Galatians really deals with that, that broad application of, of this chapter about people do make mistakes, people do falter. But there is a proper response, a God-honoring, a gospel-centered, one that, that actually is, helps the kingdom of God. That, there is that kind of response. But that response must come from you. And how do we respond to one another when we falter? Maybe we don't respond with the faith we should. How do we respond to that brother or sister? So we want to learn that this morning in this, in this chapter. Okay? so Galatians chapter 6, we're going to read 10 verses, and then we are going to pray and, we, and beg for God's help today. All right? Um, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, so, brethren, <laughs> all you are believers, let's listen up. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word... Communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man soweth that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. This is really sort of the driving verse of this whole thought this morning. is is right here in verse 9, so don't miss it. And let us, the community of believers here, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And we'll stop in verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity... Let us do good unto all men. And let's read the rest of this verse together, ready to begin. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You know who that is? That's you and me. All right. let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for our time together. Uh, Father God, I'm not here to uh, gain any kind of recognition or popularity. Uh, I'm not here to be someone's uh, best preacher or be, you know... uh, Anything like that, Father, I just want to be a servant today. and I just want to share with what you have placed on my heart and what you have taught me in your word. And I pray that you would help me with, with just what little vocabulary I have. It's not extensive, but help me to articulate truth in a way that can be understood, uh, in a way that, that people can see the application, because your word with that application is doing this world no good. Uh, we need to apply, we need to be those, uh, those messengers of the truth. And so that means we need to understand it. And we have that ability. And help us, help me, Father, to explain truth clearly. Uh, if there be someone here, Lord, that's not saved, they never remember a time where they have trusted Jesus alone by faith. Father God, I pray, we know you're going to do your part, you're faithful. But Father, I pray they would have a submissive and willing spirit to to yield and answer and cry out with, a, with repentance and a believing faith, trusting Jesus alone as Savior. And I pray for every believer, every child of God, that we would be humble today, that we would take a good look at our own selves, and are we truly responding to one another when, we, when, when others um, hit real life, and real life hits them hard, and they, may, they maybe have become tripped up, and their faith is not very strong in that moment. Help us, Father, to be Christ-like in those moments. and Be the kind of people that Christ was. A people that aim at restoration and not judgment. So, Father, guide me. Help me to disappear from this stage that only you would be heard and seen today. And I pray all this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. I love what kids add to the service. Amen. I love to hear that chuckle. Amen. All right. I may need him to make another plug, Joseph, when they go to sleep on me. Just just get him ready, all right? All right. A gospel-shaped faith for real life. You know, real life's going to happen. Real life's going to happen to you. Real life's going to happen to others. But all in how you respond deals with how much of yourself is shaped by the gospel. And I share this with our couples group. You know, what is a cross-section of the gospel? We know it's a death, burial, and resurrection. I get that. That is the gospel. But what do you receive from the gospel? Uh, mercy, forgiveness, long-suffering, and gentleness. and all, You think about all even the fruits of the Spirit. You receive that from Christ. So that is what I would call a gospel-shaped life, a gospel-shaped heart. And I'm going to tell you we need to have that kind of heart when our brothers and sisters get knocked down. And so the Apostle Paul is going to help us shape our hearts and minds in a way that we can be people of restoration. Uh, People uh, that actually say, let me help you up. instead of let me remind you why you need to be state, you know, remind you of your wounds. We need to say, help me, let let me help you heal those wounds. And so, uh, but it takes a heart prepared for that. Our flesh is not inclined many times uh, to do that. God's grace equips us to do that. And so, as we have learned through this series, we understand that um, life is challenging. Would you say amen? It it is. It's it's challenging. It's difficult. That's life. We we are not left in a life without sin. Where sin is, there's difficulty. There's circumstances that are hard. Okay? Um, But as we as God's children... Christ has left us a model, which is His own life, on how to respond to people who are dealing with a, a broken life, or dealing with them being you know, tripped up in sin. Christ is our best example of how to respond. Um, and so I encourage you to study the life of Christ. It will help you. Um, and by the sound of the amen, it is my understanding that all of you come, have come to this reality that you understand life brings difficulty and life brings hardships. That's not all about life, but that's an element of life. And we all, I think, understand that. So here's, here's the thing. When you come to that reality, that is, that is true in our lives, here comes really a, you have, you have to make a choice. So here, here's really some, two choices for you. And First choice is this. Am I to handle this circumstance, whether it's me personally going through this, this issue or me responding to a brother and sister that's going through this? Am I to handle this circumstance with what my, only my human faculties provide me to glorify Jesus? Is that the way? Or will I lean into Jesus and trust Him completely to provide uh, for me what is needed to glorify Him? I think we all can, I think it's pretty basic. That second one is the right choice. We have to lean into what Jesus has given us in order to glorify him when we deal with the hardships of life. Really, in any any area of life, we must rest in His enablements that He's given us. And, um, and before we're going to do that, we got to know that we have to understand, I need Christ now. I need Christ every minute. And so we're, we would be faithful to lean in. To him. Now, as you look at this chapter, where you're going to find some phrases, not just in this chapter, but in several places of the New Testament. You're going to find this, this phrase, one another. Have you noticed that? One another. You see that in the New Testament? You see it worded like this. Love one another. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture? Love one another. Um, pray one for another. Have you noticed that in Scripture? Right? Edify one another. Prefer one another. Use hospitality one to another. And there's many other admonishments that even the New Testament gives us when we deal with one another. All right? Some of the greatest hurt that will come to a believer is another believer responding in the flesh toward their mistakes and toward their frail moments. And so let us understand that how we respond impacts. impacts others and uh, we are called to serve one another um, the spirit-led Christian one thing I'd written down was this the spirit-led Christian thinks of others and how we can minister to them you know oftentimes people say well we come into church how can I be ministered to well, we go back to the life of Christ he came in the form of a servant not to be served but to serve all right so we even get back to the gospel there so a spirit-led Christian He's going to say, how can I serve others? That's the driving force of of Jesus' ministry. So Paul's going to share with us really really two things in this chapter and responding toward brothers and sisters when we are maybe overtaken or we are caught up in sin. Now, number one, if you're taking notes, I may just have two points for you. One is this. Um, why should we think on this? Why, why should we have a gospel-shaped uh, uh, faith when real life comes uh, to others? Uh, why should that be? It's because the burdens are real. You know, people aren't faking it. Uh, burdens are real. The, the, the mistakes have consequences. and People go through those things. And so the burdens are real. Now, what Paul's going to be dealing with there, here is one person that's called the legalist. The legalist in is saying, well, you didn't follow these lists, and so, you know, you're lesser than I am. Right? You remember the Pharisee and, and the publican in the temple? Oh, God, I'm glad I'm not like him. So there's that one approach, the legalist approach. But then there's the other, as we're going to see that the, the Apostle Paul unpacks, is the kind of person that will look at his own self and know that he needs the same grace that they need. So you're going to see those two different Uh, people here, and the one that Paul drives us to is the one that responds as Christ responded uh, to people that needed grace. Now Paul is going to present to us uh, this hypothetical case of a believer who is caught up in sin, caught up in a mistake, suddenly just sort of tripped up, not necessarily one who is just desiring to be in sin, but someone who is just the devil got him this time. You know, or that temptation got him this time. And it was a, it was, it was a tripping up situation. Let's just, be, let's just be honest. How many has been tripped up before? I got both hands raised. Anybody been tripped up? We all have. So I think this is very applicable for us uh, today. Um, so the legalist. You know what the legalist needs in responding to uh, other people that have faced difficulty? And maybe have not done well with their faith. The legalist doesn't need the facts or proof of what's going on. All the legalist needs is simply rumors and suspicions. That's all they need to bring judgment down on you. And think little of you. And just help you stay down. That's all the legalist needs. A real Christian actually actually tries to... Find out, you know, how, how are you? How are things going? What, what brought you to this place so I can help you? The legalist doesn't care about that, but the Christian will care about the details and helping them go forward. So, brethren, if a man be overtaken of fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. I want you to understand that real life is full of opportunities where Christians make mistakes and Christians fail. I love I hate this stigma to, to, to think that, well, Christians are just bulletproof. They never make mistakes. But folks, you're looking at one that makes mistakes every day. I am. And I'm looking at folks that make mistakes every day. Uh, but real life's full of them. Okay? A practice of real faith toward others who are going through these things. Is, 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 is a one, dear friend, who comes to them with gentleness to help correct and gentleness in giving them good direction. Now, I've seen the other side of this. People just say, I'll just tell your mistake to your face and tell you to go on. Dear friend, show me that in the model of Jesus, uh, dear friend. He, he did always bring the attitude to help them along. He did not beat them down with correction. He actually led them forward with it. And it takes a certain attitude to do that. It takes a Christ-centered attitude. But you find here in verse 1, it says, Restore such a one. You know what the word restore means? Restore means to mend as a net, mending a net, or restore a broken bone. Now, if someone's wanting to help restore a broken bone, you want them to just sling you around like a rag and restore that broken bone? Or do you want them to be gentle? Hey, we're, this is the next step we're going to take. This may hurt a little. Just be ready for it. But it's for your good because I love you. I want you to, to get better. And then, okay, yeah, let, let's, let's reset this bone or let's mend this bone. I'm ready. You know, which, which person do you want? I want the gentle one that, that's going to give me the truth, but give it to me with the motivation that I'm doing this because I love you. Know that I, it's coming from a loving heart. And that's the that's the kind of person I want resetting my bone that's broke or out of, out of socket or, or whatever. And so a Christian is all about restoration. So will we set that bone with judgment or will we set that bone with love and gentleness? Now look at this. Here's what's going to help you do that. All right? Because sometimes you're not going to be motivated to do that. So look at what he says. Um, he says in that verse, Considering thyself as thou also be tempted. Now, why is that so important? Sometimes we can have this tendency to say, you know what? At least I'm not like them. Or I would never do something like that. You begin to think that you're you're better. You're further along. You're more mature and you can think a little bit less. Or, without considering yourself, you become indifferent and you ignore their struggle. Either way is dangerous and detrimental to their next step of faith for the Lord. We are not to be indifferent. Don't let maybe your further maturity allow you to be indifferent towards someone else's struggle. Are you with me? Um, Christ was mature as, as one could be. Amen. He was perfect in, in, in who he was. But he reached down to help those that, that faltered. Amen. Amen. And uh, so you find here to consider yourself. In other words, you know, This is going to set the tone of where you're going to aim and you're responding to others who are struggling. All right. Considering myself, what does that mean? Listen, I have the potential to make that mistake just like they did. Amen? You say, no, I would never do that. Don't ever say never. You've heard that phrase before, right? Let the circumstance be right. Let let your uh, vulnerability be right. And you'll find yourself right there in the ditch that they're in. Dear friends, consider yourself. Dear friend, the only strength that will get you through into a stronger faith and get you to the circumstances in a glorifying God kind of way is the strength of grace. It's not human strength, it's the strength of Jesus. And so understand that's what you need. And guess what? That's what they need. You are not any different than them. All right? Don't don't be so proud. I told them their mistake. Dear friend, let me spend time to tell you your mistake. We're all full of mistakes. We all need grace. We need grace from Jesus. And therefore, a lot of times, the grace that Jesus wants to give us is the grace that he wants you to give to them. He's he's channeling grace through you to your brother and sister. Because it says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Man, the law of Christ is... His love is the great commandment uh, the great commandment. Uh, Jesus. What did Jesus do on the cross? Did he leave the guilt of, did, did he pay the sin debt or did he not? And he did it to people undeserving. He did it to the people who didn't want it, and he bore the sins of the world. And let me say this. when it says Jesus, when we talk about Jesus bearing the sin, you're going to find that He received it. Without retaliating the flesh, he responded with following through with the gospel work his father sent him. Dear friend, listen to me. The father sent Christ to provide the gospel. It was a gospel work. And dear friend, you've been saved by the gospel, by Christ. And you are in gospel ministry. Not self-centered ministry. Not in harsh uh, a legalistic, judgmental kind of ministry. You're in gospel ministry. And so think about what the gospel is to you, and what it's done for you, and that helps us uh, fulfill the law of Christ. He bore our sins. Different. I think we should help that brother and sister bear what they're bearing. You look at verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, what's he done? Deceived himself. Have you ever met somebody like that? Well, they think they're it. If anybody makes mistakes, it's everybody else, not them. That's sort of narcissistic, isn't it? It's fault with anybody, it's someone else. But here he says, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth themselves. To be something. You know what that means? That means that I'm a higher quality Christian than they are. Can I remind you something? something? You may, have, you may have, have reached a point in your life where you maybe are giving better service to the Lord than you did. But can I remind you how you got there? By someone giving you the grace to get it done. Christ empowered you. Christ gave you grace. Christ was long-suffering when you didn't care about growing you know, before. He gave you grace. And dear friend, I'm telling you, you got to show each other grace in each other's journey of faith. You do. Christ shown it to us. I wrote this down. Um, personal deception. You know what that equals? Personal destruction. To think that you are something when you're nothing, it's deceit. And when you are deceiving, you're living outside of the reality. You're living outside of the truth. And when you don't go forward in truth, you're going forward to mistakes. You're going forward in hurting people. You're going forward and not building people up, but allowing them to remain torn down. We must go forward with knowledge about ourselves and others and what we all need today, which is grace. Personal deception will eventually lead you to personal destruction, yourself and others. But that's not our calling. When you look look around the church building and you see the church itself, which which are the people, you know what you should see? People who love me and care for me and who are concerned about me. That's what you should see. But do we see that when we look at every face? Now listen to me. Think this through. Every face. You may say, that person doesn't show me that very well, you know what the best thing you can do to help them through that? Serve them. Oh, we don't like that. That's the last person I'd serve. Well, Jesus served you. Right? You know what I was brought to? Loving him because he never stopped serving, coming to me and drawing me and showing me himself. I came and I put my faith and trust in him. Love is what brings people through. doesn't mean you don't forsake the truth or the hard truth, but you bring love and the truth together. Amen? And so we find here what what Paul is talking about. He says in verse 4, But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. The word prove means to examine, to observe, check out, look over carefully, or inspect. Um, it's amazing. I think sometimes, I don't know if you've experienced this, you probably have. You've not been, lived very long. You don't have to live very long as a Christian to experience this. Someone maybe come and, and, and bring judgment toward your God's called ministry in your life. Well, they don't have a clue of your motive. They don't have a clue. You all probably, I'm looking at people that serve God. You've probably been there where people have been maybe critical about what God's called you to. Or your motive. Or you're doing what they, maybe didn't, they don't think you should be doing. But, but God has called you to it and God is leading you to it. The um, Bible says, check your own work out. Check out what you're doing. What about your motives? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why, why, why are you ministering this way? Is it God's call? Is, it, is, it, is that what God's wanting you to do? Are you doing it for bad motives? Are you doing it for recognition? And I think sometimes when people come, because listen, people's going to judge your Christian ministry. Any way they can get you to quit, they're going to do it. All right, There's people out there like that. And they're going to bring judgment, they're going to say you're not making a difference, they're going to say, why are you wasting your time? All these kind of things. And oftentimes the reason they're doing that is because they're insecure about their own follow-through in ministry. So what makes them feel good is to question yours. But here's some release. Something that I've learned a long time ago is this. And please take this. This isn't wisdom for myself, it's wisdom I was told. Dear friend, the only person that you need to prove your ministry to is God. Not man. Amen? I'm speaking to all of you who've probably had that experience. Well, they're doing it for, for the money. Or they're going that and they're just having a vacation. Or they're just, you know, they're not... Hey, hey, whoa, whoa hold a second. Did God, did God call them to do it? They say they did. Then trust God that pray for them. Help them in their ministry. Don't try to judge their ministry. Amen? Paul, Paul said, listen, consider your own works so that, hey, you may rejoice... In yourself alone, and not in another. So examine your own ministry. So there's benefits to examining. We can see the weakness of our life, the strengths, the mistakes, the progress. In other words, when we when we can improve, when we look at ourselves, we know how to improve ourselves. And guess what? That allows you to do. Then I get to rejoice of the improvements I've made by God's help. Amen. And so it's it's it, it's a joy to self-examine. It may hurt. The times that I have examined myself and I've seen my mistakes. It hurts to admit mistakes. But you know what I get to do then? I get to learn from them. I get to grow from them. And I get to do better for God after, after doing that. And so he says that every man prove his own work and don't have rejoicing in himself alone. And you look at verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. You go down to verse 6 and 7. Here's our second point. Why do we need to have this kind of response to people? This this graciousness and this love, this support, this serving, this restoration when real life happens. Because the harvest will come. The harvest is coming. Okay? I'm not talking about winning souls in this aspect. I'm talking about what you're sowing. Okay? The harvest is coming. Look at verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. You know, there is an a, 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 a aspect of this where it's talking about in, in supporting uh, uh, spiritual leadership in the church, right? So you can have the better blessing to support the ministry. That's one aspect here. But there's also a broader application here is, is this. Um, is, is, is that, look at verse 6 again. Let him that is taught in the word, communicate to him that teacheth in all good things. Look at verse 7 now. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Now notice this. For whatsoever man soweth, you finish the rest. Okay. There's no fooling God to what we sow. What I sow in my personal life, as I'm I'm living life in my faith, and also what I'm sowing... In other people's life, as they're dealing with life, and, and they're facing hard circumstances in their walk of faith, whatever you sow, that's what's coming out of the ground. Or, it won't come out of the ground at all. You know, you sow a rock in the dirt, nothing's going to grow from that. There's going to be a rock in the dirt, ain't it? So whatever you sow, that's what you are going to reap. Can I tell you something? Um... This sowing is either, if you look at verse 8, let's include that. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Um, so here's two rewards. A corruptible reward or an eternal reward. Okay? Okay. Um, With every seed, listen to me, with every seed that you sow, you're sowing a promise with it. Because this this, this is the promise book and the promise that it's given us, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So when you sow that seed, guess what? There's a promise being sown with it. So if I'm sowing something that's corruptible, there's a promise coming with it. Corruption's coming from that. If I'm sowing something spiritual and eternal and, and glorifying to God and edifying to my brethren, guess what's going to come out of the dirt? Something that glorifies God, edifies the brethren, and helps me in my growth. Amen? A promise always goes with the seed that you sow. And I guarantee you this, that promise is sure. You, that's what you'll see come out of the ground. But it's amazing to me, and I have to look at my own life. Why is it, if this is so clear-cut, that, that what you sow is what you reap? Why do we miss this? Why do we sometimes, are, are, we're sharp with a brother or sister that's, that's made a fault or hurt you or whatever in the response to your chirping up or failure or whatever. Why, why do we miss this in sowing it in each other's lives? It's simply because God's word is not consulted before we respond. We're supposed to respond according to truth, right? The truth shall set you free, and I think even a broader application of that is that it does set me free from hurting my brother and sister. It removes me from making that mistake when I go forward with knowledge and understanding of how to respond. God's Word's not consulted. Sowing is not done with the future in mind. Let me ask you a question. If if you've ever invested in a stock that you see the trend, it's climbing, and you buy some shares... Why are you doing that? It's because either yourself, if you're knowledgeable about the stock market, or you have some financial advisors, they're saying, hey, this is projected, looking toward the future, it's projected to grow another 20 30%. Get in now. Now, what's happening there? You're investing based on the future. And guess what's coming in the future for us spiritually? A harvest of what we've sown. And so I want you to sow with the future in mind. Amen? A harvest is coming of all that we've sown. And if we think about that, and we have to stand before God in light of that, then let us sow good seed. Not just seed for myself, but seed for my my brothers and sisters in Christ. Seed for this church, seed for even for this community, for that matter. Why sometimes do we miss this? The hand of the sower is simply following the heart of the sower. Your hand does what the heart is already committed to. So if I want my hand to sow good seed, my heart needs to love good seed. Right? And the best way for that heart to be right, so that hand to be right, is for your heart to be knit to the heart of Jesus. Because His hand always sowed good seed. So if I want my hands to look like Jesus's, now here, here comes the hard part. If I want my hands to look like Jesus' hands, then I, my hands have got to be willing to deal with the environment I stick them out in. I'm sowing seed, maybe in people's lives, that may nail my hand to a cross. Amen? They may reject your gift. They may, they may you know, just speak all kinds of negativity towards your motivation or whatever. They may judge you and you're sowing in their life or what you're sowing for God you got to be willing to let your hands look like His. Apostle Paul said, I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus. we got to be willing to have those marks if we're going to keep sowing good seed in all circumstances. Whether they are your circumstances that you're dealing with or another brothers and sisters. Amen? you got to be willing to have the hands of Jesus. And that comes with scars. That comes with hard elements when we're sowing. So your heart and hand belongs to God, dear Christian. And He will help you. Can I ask you a question? We're almost through. Has Jesus ever sown a corrupt seed in your life? Can I get some answers? No. Never. You've always benefited from it, didn't you? Always a good return on investment. Now Christ invests in you and you glean from that. He's never sown bad seed. Never sown bad seed. Those who sow seed for the betterment of others have first sown their hearts to the person of Jesus. Now, let me give you this word of caution, and we'll, we'll look at these last two verses and be done. You can't change the harvest once the sowing's done. Let me say that again. You cannot change the harvest once the sowing season is done, the harvest is coming. Let that, be, let that be a word of caution for us all, that we need to sow good seed. In verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Can I tell you something? We're all vulnerable to getting weary. I'm telling you, ministry is not for the weak of heart. That's all we need Jesus. But, dear friend, we can all get weary. But if we want a good harvest, let us not be weary in well-doing. You know one way to make a Christian man or a Christian woman weary. Do Do you know how to, to um, how to how, how to accomplish that? It's simply to take the work, take the man out of the work. You know how you take the man out of the work? Take the heart out of the man. Instead, and what I mean is this, instead of being someone that props them up and helps them and encourages them and say, let me take that shovel for a little while. Let me take that trowel for a little while. How can I be a part of this ministry to help you and edify you, you know, and and giving them a stronger heart for the work? You go and you may become critical or indifferent or just don't care about the work they're doing. And so, therefore, you're taking the heart out of the man. Therefore, you may eventually find the man leaving the work. I've seen that. I've seen that through through the COVID season. Pastors out of the work. From a friend in Louisville, Kentucky, I've heard of pastors committing suicide. And I know that's their own choice, but it also comes from seeds that were sown by others. Amen? Please know the seed you sow is is, is huge when you're sowing it in other people's lives. And we all are connected uh, this morning. We're all sowers in the same, same, uh, same field. Let us be ones that keep, helps each other keep the heart of service so that we will keep serving. Lastly, we look at verse 10. and I'm done. Appreciate your patience. It says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good and do how many men? All men. Especially unto them who are the household of faith. Opportunity. Can I tell you what to do with Opportunity. Pray for it, look for it, and seize it. Let me say that again. Pray for it, because when you pray for it, God's going to give it. So look for it, and when it does come, seize it and sow well. All right. Can you imagine if everybody took, every believer took their wealth God gave them and sown those seeds for God's glory and, and, and sown good seeds? Can you, can you imagine? There would be no deficit in the ministry. Deficit of any kind. Wouldn't that be a glorious state for the church? But we find that's not always the case. We need to improve our sowing, improve our heart of sowing, so that we sow well. So we are not to just do good to those who think you do. Do you ever have a tendency to say, well, I'll do good because I think they deserve it. We're not called to sow good seed and respond well with the gospel faith toward others when they make mistakes. We're not, we're not doing that because, well, we think they deserve it. Or they'll actually take my advice this time. Or they'll actually appreciate my investment this time. That is not the condition. Christ did the greatest work and all rejected Him. You know, many rejected Him, Right? And so, dear friend, our sowing good seed in each other's life. Are approaching each other with gospel-shaped faith and helping them along. It's not because they deserve it. Look in the mirror. You don't deserve good seed. But we are doing it because they are the brethren. There are people outside of us. That's why we sow what we sow. We're called to serve. We don't, we don't deserve Jesus. They don't deserve Jesus. They don't deserve good seed. You don't deserve good seed. But our calling is a calling from God period not based on other people's deserving i'll give you a verse and we'll wrap this up matthew 5:16 let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven if jesus was willing to give up or if Jesus was willing to give up his life to save people that rejected him we should be willing to approach people's lives with a real faith and real compassion when we know they don't deserve it or if if they are just someone that does not does not care or those that are going through real life Christ came provided the gospel for people who needed the gospel and dear friend, you need one another. And I can't stress that enough. The community of believers is, is important. And we must approach each other with a gospel-shaped faith and walk. So let me ask you a question. We'll have our sister Arp come, brother Eddie come. We'll have a song. As you stand to your feet, stand to your feet for just a moment. We'll have an invitation. We'll every head bowed and every eye, eye closed. I have a few questions for you. With your head bowed and eyes closed this morning. Who do you know who's maybe struggling in their faith today? They've hit a wall called life. Or do you know of anybody? Anybody? Is it because you 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 don't inquire or try to stay in touch or be intentional? Who are you helping to grow their faith? Whose faith are you investing in as they're battling life? Are you an asset to their faith or someone who motivates them or motivates them to actually walk away from the faith? Are you an encourager to the brethren to press forward, or someone whose discouragement who rips the heart their their heart of motivation to work for God? What is our investment to one another when we all face hard life? I'm thankful for this church this morning uh, of the love and investment and in. in, in um, personal inquiry of each other's lives, but dear friend, we can lose that in a very short amount of time. The devil would love to cripple us and to become bad sowers, indifferent toward the real life moments in real people's lives. Father, we thank you, Lord, for